Hello, and welcome back. I'm so glad you could make it back to see us. If this is your first time, let me introduce myself. You can refer to me as the reader. And as the reader, I feel compelled to tell you exactly what it is you will find here. But this place is quite complicated, and I think it would be much easier to tell you to look in your back seat, look under the bed, check the closet, look in all those unsuspecting dark places that should be empty, and understand that from this day forward, they will not be. If you continue to listen, Every unlit hallway, every darkened street, the deepest section of the woods untouched by light, will be filled with unwanted things. I do hope you will enjoy them. I know we will enjoy your company. For today's story, we give you A Friend Indeed, Part 2 by Cameron Baker. <laughs> Evan sat on a stone set of stairs that led to a blackened warehouse, finishing up what was left of a bottle of cheap whiskey. The stairs once led to Melville Brewing, a microbrewery he owned and operated with his brother, Sean. Business had been slow in the beginning, as you might imagine. In a small town like Columbia City, Indiana, converting locals from their sports bars and pitchers of cheap light beer to rough and resiny India pale ales or malty porters proved difficult. Hindsight being 2020, they probably should have included something closer to the classic lagers most locals were used to, like Pilsners or Whitbeers, in the beginning to entice newcomers to the world of craft beer. But because of its location and the fact that very few bars within 30 miles served anything more than traditional lagers, eventually they cornered the market and secured regular clientele. Some would travel from surrounding towns for special releases, like their annual Oktoberfest, and others had come to love some from their original line of beverages particularly their citrusy IPAs. Things really took off when they were able to add a kitchen to the building. Sean wasn't a trained chef, but he knew his way around a kitchen. They did most of the work themselves on top of running the bar, which took a physical toll and cost them a good amount of money, even though they saved quite a bit on labor doing it themselves. But before the addition of the kitchen, they had a food truck on premises to provide customers with sustenance, which suited customers just fine, but wasn't helping them make any money. In the summer, the trucks would set up shop near the patio in the back, where Evan and Sean had set up picnic tables and speakers, along with cornhole boards and a very large version of Jenga, made from cut-up two-by-fours. It was definitely a big part of their summer appeal, and they would continue it even with the addition of a full kitchen. 
but the restaurant was what truly helped them turn the corner. Sean and the handful of employees they hired to run the kitchen had put most of the work into the menu, as they had much more culinary experience than Evan, who would consider not burning a bag of microwave popcorn a win. They mostly kept it simple, just putting their own spin on classics that would be easy enough to make quickly. Spinach artichoke dip and fried pickles were among the favorite appetizers, served with house-made dressings and dipping sauces. A brewery that doesn't serve a decent burger was no brewery to the Melvilles, so Sean worked tirelessly to find the correct cut, grind, and fat ratio for the perfect house burger. Topped with aged cheddar, bacon jam, and the secret to a perfect burger. An over-easy egg, all on a brioche bun. They even went through the menu and made suggestions for beverages to pair with the entrees. But the favorite by far was the pork tenderloin. Sean's masterpiece was the giant fried pork tenderloin sandwich. The tenderloin itself was nearly the size of the plate, and most customers would either try to fold it over or just cut off what couldn't fit on the bun. The buttermilk brine tenderized and flavored the pork, yielding a mouth-watering piece of meat, while the soda crackers made the perfect crispy breading. Served on a bun with house-made pickles and jalapeno mustard, it was the crown jewel of the Melville Brewing Company's food menu. And Sean couldn't have been more proud of it. And Evan couldn't have been more proud of his brother. When they bought the dilapidated old warehouse and told everyone about their plans, most people encouraged them to follow their dreams, but were openly skeptical. After all, the restaurant business was a tough nut to crack, and getting enough business in a small town to be profitable would be hard enough if you were serving something that people were accustomed to, let alone introducing something new to the area. The stone building itself and the paved parking lot around it had been overrun with weeds and vines, but was structurally sound. Others might have just seen another old building that would have eventually been knocked down and paved over for something new. But Evan and his brother saw an opportunity. They dumped their life savings and a business loan into the property, and some renovations, but most were minor. After a thorough cleaning, most of the work was cosmetic. New windows were put in, and the hardwood floor was sanded and polished. A fresh layer of white paint was added to the stone walls, both in and outside, but they left the wood beams exposed, giving the place a welcoming, rustic feel. The hardest and most expensive part of it all was installing the large brew kettles and fermentation tanks needed for the production of the beer. They had one of the walls knocked out and put in a large glass window so the customers could see where the beverages came from. Occasionally, they would even give tours showing people how the beers were made, offering complimentary tastings of the ones they talked about. It took some time, but the place had finally earned a positive reputation, and they were getting closer and closer to paying off what they owed. For a short time, Evan felt like the luckiest man in the world.
but Lady Luck had other plans in store for him. Evan had just been waking up to brew his first cup of coffee when he heard a knock at the door. When he opened the door and the sheriff was on his doorstep, he could do nothing but lightly smile and ask what the visit was about. He had just woken up and hadn't left all night. The sheriff swallowed and with a grim face delivered the worst news that Evan had received in his entire life that had indeed been filled with bad news. That night, Sean had been working late at the restaurant. Alone. No doubt going over inventory and making sure that everything was ready for the next day. He had always been the detail-oriented brother. A fire started somewhere in the kitchen. Early investigations hadn't found the exact starting point of the fire, but many insinuations had been made, from worn or faulty electrical wiring to poorly cleaned kitchen equipment even intentional arson. Sean meticulously cleaned the kitchen. And the restaurant was his life's work. He would never intentionally harm it. There had been no 911 call. So Sean probably saw the flames and tried to fight it himself. The lack of oxygen eventually caused him to lose consciousness, but the sheriff assured Evan that he likely didn't feel the pain. He wouldn't have felt his nerve endings firing at the same time. As the flames burned and cracked his skin, he wouldn't have felt the fat underneath his skin melt and his skin falling off in sheets into fleshy piles. He wouldn't have felt his thin eyelids melt away before his eyes boiled, burst and burned away inside of his skull. He wouldn't have felt his muscles cook as his internal organs reached their boiling points and exploded, burning away leaving only a skeleton with bits of carbonized tissue attached to it. Heaven took one last pull from the bottle before lazily throwing it into the parking lot, shattering into a million pieces, much like his life had only a few days ago. Tears ran down his face, into the scraggly beginnings of a beard he didn't normally have, but had neglected to shave off. He sat, sobbing into his hands, wondering how a life can dissolve so quickly. No, it didn't dissolve. 
it went up in flames. Everything he worked for. The person he loved the most in this world. Gone. Nothing but ash. Scattered across the parking lot he now sat in. And as if losing his brother wasn't enough, they had apparently failed to file some of the necessary paperwork for the renovations they had done themselves. And now their insurance wouldn't cover the damage. The brewery was done. His brother was dead. And his money was gone. He had nothing. And no way to get it back. He had no idea how to go home and tell his pregnant wife and two-year-old daughter that everything would be okay. Because he knew it wouldn't. How could it get anything but worse? He had even considered suicide. But he knew that wouldn't work. Just because he wasn't around doesn't mean things would get better for them. His children had his blood. And they were all doomed. The least he could do for bringing into this world of Melville was suffer with them. It was a colder than usual October morning, and the sun had risen not long ago. Sunlight was glinting off the near-frozen morning dew. Evan knew he had to get home. Sarah had been worried sick about him, and rightfully so. He wiped the tears and snot from his face, and took in one weak, shuddered breath as he tried to bring himself to stop crying. And then he let it out, slowly, and stood up. He was in no condition to drive, no condition to do much of anything, but he had to get home. A few minutes later, he pulled into the driveway of his home, and he sat, staring at the door, trying to think about what he would say. He hadn't been home since yesterday morning, before Cliff had beat him senseless. After talking with Jeremy and that weirdo at the bar, Evan drove straight to the charred remains of his life's work and threw himself one hell of a pity party. He reeked of whiskey. He hadn't cleaned off much of the blood from his face or changed his clothes, and sleeping in the car had done him no favors. This was not going to go well. He went to unlock the front door, but found that it was unlocked. Probably not a good sign. So he turned the knob and walked in. Olive, his sweet little girl, must have still been asleep. But Sarah looked as if she had been up all night. She had been pacing in front of the television, holding a cup of coffee didn't appear to be working. She was wearing her favorite pajama pants and a t-shirt that said, I like coffee and maybe three people. 
when Evan walked in the door. It was pretty clear that at that moment, he was not one of those three people. For a smaller woman, she crossed the living room at a surprising pace and slapped him hard across his face. Where have you been? She said, still crying and through clenched teeth. I have been up all night worried about you. There was an accident, she continued, pointing at the television. Several people are dead, and you wouldn't answer your goddamn phone. That was it. The tears began to fall in full force, and she fell into his arms and sobbed. And he did all he could to support her weight. He was stunned. He knew this wouldn't go well, but he never even thought about something like this. Of course he hadn't. Since Sean's death, he hadn't been able to think about anyone but himself. He hadn't been able to see how his family was suffering. He stood, holding his pregnant wife as she sobbed into his bloody shirt. And he watched the television over her shoulder. They hadn't released names yet, but they were showing the scene now. Motorcycle parts were scattered on a back road with several blood-stained white sheets scattered among them, undoubtedly covering up bits of gore too macabre for television. What kind of an accident could scatter motorcycle parts and body parts like this? There wasn't a larger vehicle in sight. Evan continued to stare at the television, but his mind began to wander to a stranger in a bar. His mind began to recall this stranger, mouthing off to a biker named Donnie. He remembered the stranger, offering to take care of all of Evan's problems, including, especially, the ones involving bikers. Evan remembered making that deal. Evan remembered what Donnie's motorcycle looked like. And Evan knew this was no accident. Thank you all for joining us. We hope you have enjoyed this story as much as we have. And can't wait for you to join us next week for the finale of A Friend Indeed. And as I've said before, if you hear of strange or unexplainable happenings in your neighborhood, don't be alarmed. As long as you continue to listen and help spread the word, You'll be just fine. We will continue to spread the bloodshed. <laughs> I mean, spread the word. Our way. But you can help us by sharing us on social media. 
Even leaving comments on each episode or giving us a rating on iTunes can help us reach new listeners. So, be sure to join us next week. Or we might have to join you when you least expect.